I've had a couple meetings throughout the weeks, and um, you'll be amazed of how many certain individuals with some very serious things that have been affecting them since childhood are now starting to confront those things because they're recognizing that God has given them the spirit to cry out, the time is now that I'm going to fix these things, that I'm going to do things right. When we look at Scripture, there are so many examples, so many testimonies, so many passages all over the Word of God that, that they all come to that point of, okay, no more messing around, no more doing it later. It's time to do it now. Just think about some of the famous ones, huh? You know, a lot of people look at David. David fought who? Oh, y'all don't know. David fought? Goliath. That's good. David did fight Goliath. But you know what's beautiful about that passage? David ran to Goliath, the Bible says. He ran to him. Like when you run to something, it's because you're you're excited about that. People ran to the stores a couple weeks back at 3, 4 in the morning to the doors to open to get a new phone. They were excited, so they ran to it. David ran to Goliath. Like, I'm ready for it. A young boy. doesn't make sense. But he runs. The time is now. You look at Moses. He takes off to Egypt. Takes off to Egypt. The time is now. Abraham left all that he knew to a place he knew not of. A place that the Lord had promised him. The time was now for him. Daniel faced the king's laws. He didn't care that what he was going to do was against the king because he was going to obey God's laws first, and he faced his lion's den. His time, he recognized, was now to act. I mean, we could go all over the scripture, Hezekiah and Jeremiah and Paul and Peter. I mean, we could really go one by one, and every individual ended that cycle of I'll do it later and came to that point of acting on I'm going to do this stuff now. Amen? And that's where I hope we are at today. I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 4 as we've read our introductory verse of our series. I want you to look at Luke 4 with me. And as you turn to Luke chapter 4, I want you to put your eyes there on verse 16 for a second. We're going to talk a lot about this passage and go back to it throughout today's um, word. But as you look at this passage in Luke, this is chapter 4, right before Jesus is to start his earthly ministry. I want you to grab this for a moment as I give you some, a summary. He's about to begin healing and preaching. He's about to begin everything that one day will lead him to the cross on Calvary. We find ourselves in chapter 4, and in these verses, Scripture says that the Spirit of the Lord leads him and leads him into the wilderness. And as Jesus is led to the wilderness, he is tempted by Satan there. Does anyone know for how many days? He's tempted by Satan for 40 days. Just, Just think about this for a moment. The Spirit of the Lord leads the Lord to the wilderness to be tempted and hang out with Satan for 40 days. When Jesus passes this temptation of Satan for 40 days, the Spirit leads him back to his hometown, Nazareth, and he goes back home for a little while, and we find ourselves in verse 16. If you could turn there, 16. And I want to read this passage and just follow along with me from verse 16 on. It says this, So Jesus comes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Very important, guys. Look what he reads. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and then to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'll read the next two verses. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. 
And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Powerful moment of Jesus' life. Powerful moment. What you're seeing here in Luke chapter 4, verses 16, 16 to 21, what is Jesus voicing? What is Jesus saying here in his somewhat 30th year of his life? What is Jesus really doing here? If you really read this passage carefully, it's almost as if he's warning the listeners, isn't he? He just spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. He comes back to his hometown. He opens up the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And he begins to read a passage which is a prophetic passage of the Messiah that is to come. Everyone understand? And as Jesus sits there, he opens it up. And he starts off with a phrase. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. Everyone say, anointed me. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And he begins to describe what he has anointed him to do. Well, what is it, Lord? He's anointed me to preach and to heal and to proclaim and to recover and to set free people. And everyone there, he, he closes his book and everyone there just stays fixed on him. Like, what just happened? You've ever been in a moment like that? Where something happens and you just like stay frozen like, did everyone just re realize what just went down here? Or am I the only goofball that is kind of in shock right now? And anyone ever gone through that? I have been there. Come on. Anyone got some whacked out families in the building? I do. Got a messed up family. Sometimes one of them says something, I'm like, the heck did she just say? Jesus reads this. He closes the book, gives it back to the one who's in charge of taking care of the scripture in the temple. He sits down, and then he looks at them all, and he says this, Hey, what you guys just heard, it's just been fulfilled. And everyone, if you keep reading, no one does anything, no one says anything. Everyone's in shock. What was Jesus doing? Well, this is what he was doing. Hey, everyone, I'm giving you all a heads up. That's what he's doing. I'm, I'm, I'm warning, I'm, I'm going to do everything that I just read in Isaiah 61. I'm going to do it all. All that the prophet spoke about me. Listen, I will begin to do it. What do you think he said? Now. Now's the time where, where I am anointed to preach. And I am anointed to be sent out. And I am anointed to heal. And I am anointed to recover the sight of the blind. The time is now. Real quick before we continue in this. Have you ever said this before, or maybe to take you out of the equation, have you ever spoken with someone in your life before and you confront them about a characteristic in their life? Like seriously, you just confront them like, hey, the word of God, or you go to church, or hey, you're a Christian, right? Shouldn't be saying that, you know, you're not showing Christ's characteristics. And, and what do you, not you say, because you, you wouldn't do that, but what does the person say? Well, you know, I'm not Jesus, you know. Anyone ever met someone that said that? I'm not perfect, you know, I'm not Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm not as holy as you are. But most of the times, they're like, well, well, I know Jesus said that. Well, I'm not Jesus, right? The answer is right, you're not Jesus. But I'm going to, in today's word, I want you to tap into something and see something that I pray will change the way you see this for the rest of your life. You're not Jesus, you're right. I'm not Jesus, you're right. We're not Jesus, you're right. But how about if I tell you this? How about I tell you that that phrase, well, you know, I'm not perfect. Well, you know, God's dealing with me. Well, you know, I'm not Jesus. Because I do that. How about if I tell you today that that phrase is not a good excuse? Well, how can you say that? If you're taking notes, Paul... In the book of Galatians, he's writing to the church of Galatia. And in chapter 4, verse 6, I want you to hear or see what Paul says. He says, because we are children of God, 
Because we are children of God, He has sent the Spirit of His Son into our what? I want you to look at this passage. Church, you are children of God. And the Lord has sent His Spirit into our hearts. I read Galatians 4, 6, and I start to think about the excuses of my life as we look at this phrase of, I'll do it later, God. And I start to recognize that the excuse of, I can't do the things that He wants me to do now. I, I can't confront these issues now. I can't fix and work out these problems right now. Ready? I'm not Jesus, you know. I'm, I'm human just like you. I, I'm, I'm, I can't fix these struggles right now. I can't face those lions today or right now. I can't. Well, Paul says, hey, I, I get what you're saying, but I want to share something with you. You're a child of God now, and because of that, he has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. When you look at that word sent, it means dispatched. That God has dispatched the Spirit of Christ in our lives. We are human and we are not perfect and, and maybe we struggle and we can't confront these issues. I get that. That's who we are. But Paul tells us, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, that the Spirit of Christ now lives in me. Amen? I'm not making this stuff up. That this same Spirit that Christ had now lives in me. That the same Spirit that Jesus said was in Him. Do you remember what we just read? Let's go back. Luke chapter 4 said what? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He has anointed me too. So the Lord says that the Spirit was upon him. Paul tells us that the same Spirit that is in him now is in what? In me. So if I have Christ, the same Spirit that Christ had in me, it is the same Spirit that led him to the wilderness for 40 days with Satan. And then it is the same Spirit that causes him to go back to Nazareth. And as he goes back to Nazareth, it is the same spirit that leads him to read this Old Testament passage of Isaiah in the temple. To make everyone present aware of what he was going to start doing. Well, what is it? What is it? That the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach, to heal, to proclaim, to recover, and to set free. That's why the spirit is upon me. What he's saying is, now is the time that I'm doing this. And if he's saying that with the same spirit that is leading him to do that and say that, and that same spirit is in us, church, and that same spirit is leading us, listen to this, and that same spirit is dispatched upon us, and that same spirit has anointed us, well, what has it anointed us to do? Well, you fill in the blanks. Ready? It has anointed us to preach. It has anointed us to heal. It has anointed us to proclaim. It has anointed us to recover. It has anointed us to set free. I can't wait till later. Because when I read Luke chapter 4 and I read Galatians 4, 6, the passages of scriptures is saying what? Rego, the time is now, but I can't. Shut up. Yes, you can. Because the spirit of Christ is in you. And what has it done? It has also anointed you. Well, what does that mean? Oh, anointed, you want me to tell you? I was going to grab someone up here today. And this is what I was going to do today. I was going to put a piece of plastic, but I didn't do it. I said, it's going to be very hard. We're going to have to hose them down. It's going to be hard. I was going to put a piece of plastic. I was going to have them sit here, and then I was going to do something very special to them. I was going to give them a makeover. But I looked up the word anoint that is so special in this passage, and this is what I was going to do with the person that I sat up here. When I looked at that word anoint, it means to consecrate, to set apart. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, and He has set you apart, but it doesn't end there. When you really dig into the word anoint, does anyone know what that word means? Set apart to make holy. The word anoint there, when Jesus says this, check this out. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
and he has anointed me to heal, to proclaim, recover, set free. What he meant by anointed is, the Spirit of the Lord has smeared me. And I looked at that for a moment, I said, wait a minute. So the Spirit of the Lord just doesn't fill me for a moment. The Spirit of the Lord just doesn't touch my life for a second. When I look at the word anoint, the word of God says, no, no, Regal. The Spirit of the Lord has smeared and smudged all over you. But now that phrase has a whole different saying to my heart and a whole different sorry, meaning to my heart. Because maybe you're here today and we're here at the end of this series. And you're like, well, how do I do this? How do I confront lions? How do I become this person that, that, that Luke chapter 4 is calling me to, de- to be? How can I once and for all face the lions in my life? Well, Scripture shows us. And it shows us that we haven't just been touched by the Spirit of God. Listen. It tells us that we haven't just been blessed by the Spirit of God or loved by the Spirit of God. Scripture says that the same Spirit that is upon Christ that anointed Him is the same Spirit that is upon us and it's anointing us. So that means that we have been smeared with the Spirit of God. Okay? Smeared. Completely covered. Completely drenched. You see, you got to study when they used to make a priest anointed. They didn't just give him oil and baptize him with some oil. In the Old Testament, when the high priest was anointed or when the king of Israel was anointed, like when Samuel anointed David, it just wasn't like, here's some olive oil for your head. You're the next king. Here's some olive oil for your body. You're the next high priest. you got to study the steps behind it. What they would do was they would fill up a ram's horn with oil and they would grab the ram's horn and bring the man. Sometimes they would get on their knees and they would pour the oil all over them and they would make sure that as the oil would fall, it would drench them all over and they were covered and smeared with oil. It was so thick, it was such strong smell that whenever the priest would walk around any corner, people would smell him from a distance because he was smeared and drenched with the oil of anointing upon upon their life. So in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's not saying like, yeah, it's just anointed me. He's saying that the Spirit is not just upon me, the Spirit is not just in me, over me. It's none of these things. He's saying it's anointed me. And when Paul says that same spirit of Christ lives in us, he's asking the church there and he's reminding the church there, listen church, you've been smeared, smeared for such a time to do it now. And the only way that I am able to preach the gospel to poor, the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to those who are in prison captive, to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The only way that any man could ever do this is if they are saturated, smeared, smudged with the anointing of the Spirit of God. Because you know very well Mahdi showed the peace of his heart today. He said, today I got up and I thought about an itchy throat. Maybe it was my time to rest today and not come to church. We're human, we're frail, we're weak. I am, he is, we are. And the only way that you and I would ever be able to say, Lord, I'll do it now, is if we allow access, if we allow the power, the grace of the Spirit of Christ to live in us. And not just to, oh, Lord, Allow me to do this, or Lord, give me a new job, or Lord, make my family right. But you say, Lord, have your complete way and fully drench me and smear me with your spirit so that I could finally become the person that you've called me to be. It's the only way that us, carnal, sinful, weak, frail men, could ever do this amazing, perfect, powerful will of God. The church that we live in today It's got to get to a point where they are finally smeared and filled with the Spirit of God. Not a devotional. 
Not a Bible verse for the day. Not a two-minute prayer. Not a, I walked by and I gave a cheeseburger to the guy in the corner of the block that was hungry with a hungry sign. Not that I saw my coworker praying and I just said a little prayer with them to hopefully edify them and make them feel better. I'm talking about that you finally get to the point and you say this, enough of me, more of you, smear me with your anointing once and for all. It's the only way I could do this, God. So I was going to get someone up here. I just figured the bright color would be red because of his blood, right? And I was going to have him dress in white shirt. I was going to grip my hands, probably put some gloves on. And I was going to just emphasize how some of us just live and we're okay with just a touch of paint. Some of us are okay with just some paint here. Some of us are okay with just a little bit of the Spirit of God over here. Some of us are okay with just a little bit of the Spirit of God, but I said that's not what Scripture teaches us. When the Spirit of the Lord fills us to anoint us, it's not just a touch. It's not just a, a little filling. I was going to grab that person and get my hands with paint. And I was just going to play around and rub that individual all over and make that person drenched with red paint and say, we won't be able to fully say, I'll do it now and face those lions unless we're finally covered, smeared, drenched with the anointing of God. It's time to rise up. It's time to be that person. It's time to be that family to be this, to finally do what the Lord has been telling me to do. The truth is, when you are smeared with God's anointing, what can you fear? When you've been smeared by God, you don't fear nothing. You face obstacles like a den of lions. Listen to this. You face a furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. You face a Pharaoh like Moses did. You guys getting this? You face a Goliath like David did. You could go down the drain, down the, the scripture. We, we, you could go, uh, um, Paul faced Felix the governor. You could, you could, all the rulers of Rome like Paul did without any fear. I, I love what Peter and John did one time. Both of you need to be quiet now. Next time we're going to arrest you and kill you. And what did they tell the rulers that were going to kill them? Hey, listen. You could imprison us. And you could say to us to do whatever you want. But to stop speaking the name of Jesus, we will not do. So if you need to come and persecute and arrest us again, then so be it. But we will not shut up for the cause of Christ. Hey, you want to know how Moses did it, how Elijah did it, how Peter and John did it, how Paul did it, how Daniel did it, how David did it, how all these people did it, how Jeremiah did it, how Hezekiah did it, how Ezekiel did it. You want to know how they did it, how you do it, how we'll do it, how I do it. Here it is. Ready? You got to get to a point where the Spirit of the Lord is not just touching you but where the Spirit of the Lord is smearing you. And that's the truth. Let him fully fill you and cover you. So here is the part that I want to teach today. When Paul says that the Spirit of Christ is now in us because we are children of God, notice Paul's the one that says that. I want you to write down in your notes Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, Verse 13, turn there, and it's a power, it's a, it's a very uh, famous verse that football players and everyone quotes. You probably have a frame with a picture in it at home, but don't get lost with this verse. Just give me a second. How many of you have read this verse, right? It's one of the most popular verses in Scripture other than John 3.16. It's popular because it's positive, right? I could, you want to know, like, I could do it. <laughs> I could do all things. So we learn it, we memorize it, we put it in a frame, we put it on our fridge, we put it on our door exit sign. Hey, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And everyone says, amen. But here's Paul to the church of Philippi, and he says something so powerful like this verse, which we're going to break down for a moment. I can do all things, he says in 4.13, all things. How many things can he do? All things. That's a, hey, listen, that's a very strong statement. Because if I'm hanging out, you know how I am, right? If I'm hanging out with public, hey, I thought you could do all things. Got you, you liar. I mean, for Paul to say I could do all things, you have to be very careful in what you're saying. 
Because if you're going to say something, you better be willing to what? You better be willing to what? Back it up. Because the Bible says that you have a cloud of witnesses, and those witnesses are going to see what you're saying. So, so Paul, if you're saying you can do not just some things or a little bit of things or three-fourths of the things, but if you could say I'm doing all things, then I'm going to keep an eye on you. But watch what he says next. I could do all things, but I, look, I, like, the, I like this next word. Everyone say the next word with me. What? One, two, three. Through. The only way that I can do all things is through the person that I do it in and for and with. I can do all things. Who do you think you are, Paul? No, 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 I'm not done. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another version might say, who gives me strength. This passage is so much more powerful and deeper than what it just says or how we just read it. Listen to this. First off, let's understand the context of this verse. Does anyone know why Paul says this? Does anyone know why Paul says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Let's just study the Bible together. Why is he saying that? Don't cheat. Why is he saying it? This is why. You got to read verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now I speak in regard to need. For I've learned that in whatever state I am, I've learned to be what? Yeah, I've learned to be joyful. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to live humbly. And I know how to abound, to live in much. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. Listen to what he says. I've learned to be both full and to be hungry. But he doesn't end there. I've learned to both what? To have plenty, to abound, and to also what? What, what? Paul is like, I've learned life. Can you relate to Paul? Can anyone here relate to Paul? I've figured out what life is about. What is Paul saying? Life is about what? Highs. And life is about what? Lows. Life is about what? Celebrating life together and then what? Oh no, passing through death with people. I mean, life is about heartache and life is about smiles and frowns and life is about cheesecake and then life is about sour grapes. I mean, life is about all these things. But I've learned that through whatever my life goes through, I've, I've learned to, to be joyful. And after he's explaining what his life is about, like my life sometimes is great. Everyone say amen, huh? But sometimes my life is very sorry. How many amens? Yeah. Sometimes my family is doing very good. And any extremes here? And sometimes, and maybe you're like, most of the times, my family is doing very what? Very bad. Huh? Sometimes my finances are on a high. Yeah, we could go by the world. And sometimes I'm on my knees looking for pennies. Anyone? Am I the only one? Sometimes my children love me. And sometimes I just want to kill them. Well, I don't know. But we have highs and we have lows. And Paul says what? That's what my life is about. But I can. I've learned this. That whatever I've gone through, I've, I will go through, I've learned this. Verse 13. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, how do you go? You got to know Paul's life. Do you know that Paul basically died one day? He preached Jesus. They grabbed rocks and they smashed it over his head. The Bible says they stoned him. They dragged him out of the city because he was dead. And when they threw him out, they closed the city gates. They left Paul for dead. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Paul and rose him up again. And he went to the next town to preach. He just got smashed by a rock. Hey, that's not, a, that's not a high in life. That's a very low. Okay? I just got killed. <laughs> I could be alive and I could be dead in one moment. But he says something beautiful. But I can. Wherever I'm at in life, listen, listen, listen. Wherever I'm at in life, whether I'm in the highs or whether I'm in the lows, I've learned something. That I can, in the lows, do all 
things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on, people who are in the lows today. You can do it. You could do it now. You could face the life. But I'm in a low, Pastor Rigo. I know you're in a low. But just because you are in a low in life does not mean that the lion should still devour you. Just because you are in a low in life means that you what? You still go out there and you face that lion even in the lows. Well, I can't do it. I'm about to drown. I'm about to burn out. I'm about to just give in and give up on God and life for good. And then I'm going to tell you what? No, no, no. That's not what Paul said. Whether I have plenty or I have little. Whether life is great or whether life is bad, I can do all things through Christ. Why? How? Because he strengthens me. Ready? Maybe you feel like you couldn't do it or you have not been able to do it or you will never do it because you haven't been smeared yet. But the moment that you get smeared, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter whether you're in the high or the lows. That does not determine where you're at with Christ. You're going to face the high. You're going to face the low because you are anointed with the Spirit of God and you face the lion that God's called you to face once and for all. Paul says what? I could do it all through Christ who strengthens me. I want to look at this for a moment. I want to look at this. Because what Paul is saying here, he's saying this, Church, Philippi, Nothing changes. I'm going to ask Rudy to come here. Rudy is my, my double mint twin for today. He didn't wear the pink shirt. But he's my, stay right down there. And Rudy's my double mint twin. And it doesn't matter where we're, I'm not going to do it because I will fall. I wasn't standing on the, on the stool. It doesn't matter where we're at in life, whether Rudy, he represents the lows today. Whether you're in the lows whether you're in the, in the valley, in that, anyone ever feel like you're just in that plateau of life? Just that no more heartbeat, it's just beep, you're like, I haven't felt a heartbeat in a while, man. It doesn't matter if you're in the highs and you're elevated among Rudy and he's in the lows and you're in the highs. But watch what Paul says as he stands there and I stand up here. I am elevated, Rudy's my twin and he is under and he's going through problems and he's in the valley. But look what Paul says, nothing changes. It doesn't matter if I'm standing in the valley or if I'm standing on top of the mountain. Nothing changes. One thing remains. What is it? That I could still do it in the valley, what I could still do on the mountaintop through Christ. So let's look at this. Ready? I want you guys to understand this, to turn to Matthew 19, 26. In Matthew 19, 26, there is a powerful scripture. And Jesus is describing to his followers, and he says something. These are followers and disciples that one day will all be persecuted and killed. And Jesus looks at them, and in his words, he says this, and I'm going to read what it says. It says, with man, this stuff is impossible. Listen to this. But with God, with me, what does he say next? All things are possible. Uh, with Rudy, this, this valley that Rudy's going through, this drought that you're going through, this, this attack, that lion that's waiting for you outside your door, with Rudy alone and Rudy in your strength and Rudy in his finances and Rudy in your knowledge and your family and the people that you have that are your power group, with Rudy and man, it's impossible. But the Lord says, but with me, all things are possible. And I want you to recognize what Christ is doing and saying in Matthew 19, 26. What does Christ say? With me, all things are possible. A couple, actually a little bit more than a couple years later, Paul speaking, and Paul at this point of his life is right here where we're at. And he quotes what Matthew 19, 26 says. He says, I know we're not in the mountain. I know we haven't been exalted in a long time, huh? You, you just feel like, you, man, God, just exalt me already, huh? God, just lift me up already. I'm tired of being down. I'm, I'm tired of being, like, salivated over by these lions. Like, I need already some sort of free. I just need a breakthrough already. Anyone ever feel there? Huh? And, and God's like, Paul's like, I, I get it, man. We've been here for a moment now. We've been here for a long time now. But I'm going to share with you something that Christ said in Matthew. He said, with us, with man, everything that we face is impossible. But in Christ, in God, all things are possible. So he writes to the church of Philippi, and he says, I've gone through the 
through the highs of life and through the lows. I've really gone through hell here on earth. And I've experienced some heavenly moments. But all in it all, I've got to stand in the promise what Christ said. And Christ says, ah, in me, you could do all things. And, and I read that, and now I'm going to break down this word through for a, for a moment. Because what he's doing here, Paul leaves nothing out. Nothing that he cannot do. He, he says, I could do all these things. Why can Paul do all these things? Because the Lord had reminded the church already that they can do all things. All things are possible. So when I look at this word through, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The word through there in the Greek, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a word in the Greek which is a word of position. It's actually a word which it means a position of rest. A word that is in relation to have a position that finds rest in it. So when Paul writes to the church of Philippi, in chapter 4, verse 13, and I read this verse and I say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hey, let's put it on a frame and live by it. It has a whole different meaning now. Because what Paul is really saying is this. I've gone through lows, I've gone through highs, I've had mediocre days. Man, life hasn't always been gravy. Life has been hard at moments. But I've recognized that the only solution I have is doing it through Christ. What do you mean by through? I have found my position of rest. Whether I'm up here or down here, nothing can move me in Jesus Christ. I remain in Christ. That's good. What Paul is saying is this. My circumstances and the position of my circumstances might change, but my position never changes. I do this stuff through Christ, who said all things are possible. You're crazy if you think I'm going to sell out on this position. I'm not selling out. I'm not selling out. I'm smeared. He's in me. A position of rest. A position that no one can move Paul from. And how does Paul get to this point? How did he live so consistent? How does he do all this stuff? Always on the attack. Always doing God's will. How does Paul, through thick and through thin, how can he recite such words like Philippians 4.13? How can he write such words down on paper and share it to the church? How can he say what he said in Philippians 4.13? You want to know why? It's because of that word through. It's because of his position. I'm going to read a passage that I hope makes you understand this a little bit clearer. It's found in the book of John, chapter 15. And when I read John 15, I'm going to get close to ending, but, but listen to this first. If you could turn to John, chapter 15, and you could put your eyes on verse 5. Jesus says something very important to the hearer. And this is what Jesus says. Ready? Jesus says, I'm the vine. And you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I abide in him, will bear much fruit. Look what he says next. For without me. What does he say? Church, without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, and they throw them into the fire. We, we know what that means, right? We could read between the lines. And they're going to be burned. Verse 7. But if you abide in me, if you, do, do thing, if, you, if you live through me, if you take that position of rest in me, abide in me, through me, look what he says. And my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire. It shall be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified, 
By what is God glorified? That you would bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. I read this passage, and it goes in line with everything else that we're saying. That I can do this stuff now. That I can face this stuff now because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. His spirit is in me. It is smeared upon me. And because of that, listen, I could face kings and giants and lions and, and all these things. Jesus, in the end of his book in Revelation, he begins to talk to a church called the Lukewarm Church. How many of you have ever heard of the Lukewarm Church? And as he begins to talk to the Lukewarm Church, I'm going to say this. And as I say this, he's actually giving them a cry of urgency. But to the Lukewarm Church in Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus says this. Listen to this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, listen to what he says next. I will come into him and dine with him, and he will dine with me. When you read this verse, how many of you would say positive? No? How many of you would say, I like it, it's good, it's positive, I could take this as a memory verse for today? But to understand this verse, you got to understand the verses prior to it. It's a call to urgency. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 3, the same, um, same paragraph as he's quoting this one, the Lord says this, I know you. You're not cold, you're not hot, you're lukewarm. I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say that you're rich because you have all these things but in, and you don't need anything. But the truth is, you don't know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says this gold is refined in the fire, so that it could be rich, with white garments, that you would be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint, anoint your eyes, that you would see again. As many as I love, I rebuke and I correct them. Therefore, be zealous. Therefore, repent. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears, let him open. And I will come into him. And I will dine with him. And he with me. That verse is mentioned only after a cry of urgency. Where he's telling the church what? This is what I have for you. This is what I want for you. But what? Repent. Fix your life. Face the lions. Do what's right. Because this is what I want at the end of your life. I stand at the door. We've been discussing the phrase, I'll do it later. And today... I pray that it's a phrase that we will be able to walk out with a proclamation of I'll do it now. For some of us in this room, your family life, do it now. You know who you are. Like you can't wait. You can't risk your family any longer. Do it Some of you at work, you know what's happening there. Do it now. Your finances. Unforgiveness. Pain. Sorrow. Confront those things when? Just do it, man. But you don't understand how many years I've been dealing with this. Right. But you don't understand how powerful the anointing of God is when it smears your life. It could cause you to do in one day what you have not done in 10 years. How? Because that's what the anointing of the Spirit of the Lord upon us does.
So you really want me to do this now? Listen, I think God wants you to do it now, not me. I think as a church, we need to do it now. Be the people that God's called us to be once and for all. Amen? But how about, as we read all this stuff, and as we're saying, I'll do it now. How wonderful. That today we serve a God that says, wait a minute. As you say I do it now, As your God, I say this to you. But I'll do it now. And you're like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? God's like, I'll do it now. What do you mean by this? This is what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 3, look what Paul says. And he starts off in verse 14. He says, I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord, of our Lord Jesus, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. But look what he tells the church. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. He can do it now. In the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, church, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, listen to what he says next, what is the width, length, and depth, and height to know the love of Christ. Because Christ can do it now, is what he's saying. It passes our knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would be filled. Christ is saying, I'll do it now. I'll fill you now. I'll show you what my love looks like. I'll show you what my might looks like. But look what he says next. Verse 20. Now to him, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. To Him be glory. To Him be glory in the church. How many of you can say amen? What is Paul saying, church? And what I'm trying to tell you is that Christ is able to do it now too. Exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think do what you thought he would never be able to do so as I say Lord I do it now what does the Lord say back to me no Regal what you don't get is that I do it now in you that's all I want I need his spirit in me I need him to do it now in me why? because remember Rudy can't do it on my own with man it is impossible but if Christ can do it now then I know if he smears me with the same spirit then I can do it now I'm ready Lord the time is now I'm going to share with you an excerpt from a book that I'm reading called Dangerous Calling just one little passage awesome book by David Tripp listen to what he says here think of the army of Israel in the valley of Elah armed for battle but too afraid to fight how many of you feel like you're armed for battle because you're a Christian huh how, how many of you feel like this like, I'm armed for battle but you're too afraid to fight. I'm armed for battle, but but don't ask me to go out there. I believe what this says, but don't ask me to preach it. I believe it could be healed, but don't ask me to pray for it. 
Look what Paul Tripp says. Here they are, Israel, armed for battle, but too afraid to fight. They stood there as the chosen army of the Most High God. They stood there as the army of the Lord of hosts. But they stood there afraid. You're afraid? Afraid to face the Philistine champion. It was an army suffering from a tragic case of identity amnesia. They forgot who they were. They forgot the promises they had been given. And because they forgot, they drew a false spiritual equation as they evaluated the moment. It wasn't It wasn't these puny little soldiers against this huge giant. Listen. It was this puny giant against Almighty God. Man. 1 Samuel 17 chronicles David's arriving. The shepherd, he shows up to deliver provisions to his brothers. A man of faith. A man who had experienced the rescuing power of God. So David couldn't understand why the army was not fighting. In an act of courage that is possible only for someone who knows who he is as the child of God. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are children of God, the Spirit of Christ is in you. David lived as only one who knew that he was a child of God and he rested in what he had been given. David walks into that valley to face Goliath with nothing more than a shepherd's sling. David is drawing the right spiritual equation and knows that God will deliver the Philistine champion and his army into his hand. And look what it says last. David knows that he fights not in the shadow of the glory of Goliath, but in the brightness of the glory of God. It is the courage of the faith residing in his heart that propels him into that valley. How about if I change the words? How about if I say this? New life knows that we fight not in the shadow of the glory of our lions, but in the brightness of the glory of God. We have a courage of faith residing in our hearts that propels us to face those lions once and for all. To say, I'll do it now. Let me give God some praise.